Hello and welcome to the Living Hope Wesleyan podcast. If you would like more information about Living Hope Wesleyan Church, please visit our website at hopeforvermont.org. As well as if you're enjoying these podcasts, check out the live streams at Hope for Vermont on YouTube. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Uh, as we continue, um, Pastor Kenny is on the schedule to preach once every eight weeks. And so if you recall, when we first found out the diagnosis uh, with Bethany, that was, well, eight weeks ago. And so on one hand, eight weeks goes quickly. And on the other hand, well, I don't have to preach today. And so uh, preaching I guess, three times Sunday and then giving the uh, Vermont Senate devotional on Tuesday. It was kind of nice not to uh, prepare for a sermon this week. and We're just so appreciative of uh, Pastor Kenny. But just to engage you a little bit, not to take away from uh, Pastor Kenny's sermon, but if you're fidgety, get this out right now in the comments. What is your preferred form of social media? And mom, you can say texting or email those kind of count. So if you uh, prefer Facebook, just put in FB, Instagram, uh, Twitter, whatever, just in the comments, just a little interaction because we don't want you uh, typing or texting during the sermon. You can just get this now. What's your preferred type of social media? Just put that in the comment section. And uh, without further ado, Kenny, thanks so much for uh, being a part and thanks so much for leading us in God's word this morning. Absolutely. Um, I can also attest that eight weeks goes by really fast, uh, as well as Twitter. Twitter is my preferred form of social media. So uh, with that, um, yeah, I, I wanted to start with a little, um, I guess, a, a little story on uh, sort of how all of this came together for today. Um, so I, uh, I had the, my sort of this, this idea for the sermon that we're going to be doing today. And uh, I was originally scheduled to preach last week, and I actually messaged Pastor Jeff, and I was like, you sure you want me to preach on Easter? And uh, there was just sort of a, a scheduling mishap there, and so we, we bumped me back a week. But today, we're actually going to be talking about sort of last week, we talked about the resurrection. And today, we're talking about what happens after the resurrection. And uh, it just happened to work out that way, and it's one of those things that... Um, Whenever I go to, to work on a sermon, to get to get started on a sermon, it always feels weird to say that. And I know growing up, I always, when I, when I saw a pastor, I figured, you know, during the, the, the week, they work on all the stuff around the church. They, they do the community stuff, all that. And then Sunday morning, they just go out and whatever God gives them in that moment, that's what they preach. And so the idea of like sitting down and working on a sermon was always weird to me. Because I was like, that was like, you know, it almost feels like it's like it's not God speaking. And, uh, and then you run into stuff like this, which is, I mean, I spent time putting this together and even in there are parts of this, which I, I hope it makes sense. I, I really, really do. But the, the, the fact that it fell on today, I'm like, God knew it. God knew it. God wanted me to work, work on this. God wanted me to put this in a way that it makes sense. And um, I just think it's really cool that this fell literally the Sunday after Easter. And so that brings me to a question. Have you ever told a lie? You feel free to show of hands. Have you ever told a lie? Um, if you're not raising your hand right now, then you can now raise your hand because you just told a lie. Uh, have you ever been caught in a lie? Or had someone believe that they caught you in a lie? So think of all the, have you ever told a lie? And then after you answer yes to that, have you ever been caught in that lie? 
or had another situation in which you weren't lying, but someone was convinced that you were. And so I want to look at the four ways that we react to this situation. We are either lying and we admit it. We are either lying and we refuse to admit it. We are either telling the truth, but they believe that we're lying. So we recant the truth in order to avoid punishment. Or we are telling the truth, but refuse to recant and accept the punishment. Um, everything I looked at, this is sort of the four ways that I found people most likely react to lying. Of these, the first two are really simple. You either admit that you got caught in a lie or you don't. Like Very, very simple. Oftentimes, whether you admit that you are lying or not depends on the punishment. No dessert. Yeah, you know, I was lying. I can go without dessert tonight. I'm, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, lose your job. This is a situation where people might be more likely to be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, I don't lie. Uh, to clear things up, I'm not endorsing this choice of action. Digging yourself a deeper and deeper hole into a lie never ends well because eventually you can't dig any deeper. Or you can't get out because you dug too deep. The second set here becomes a bit more complicated because of the fact that we're telling the truth. So now if we admit that we are lying, we're actually lying now because before we were telling the truth. But if it's say this or death, many people will admit that they were lying so they can keep their life. When the punishment is really severe, we run into a situation which we're more apt to be like, you know what, I'm good. I I don't want it. And that's just that's just human survival instincts. Now the second one, when we're telling the truth but we refuse to recant and accept the punishment, this is another one where we run into, um, if we're if we're looking at that punishment of death, people are more likely to recant and save their life. As I mentioned, that's just human survival instinct. And most people don't sacrifice themselves for something they don't believe in. So we're really going to look at this fourth option, the idea of telling the truth and refusing to recant and accepting the punishment. And so now I have a question for you, another question. We got a lot of questions today. How many of you have absolute definitive proof of the divinity of Jesus and the truth of the Gospels. How many of you have absolute definitive proof, the divinity of Jesus and the truths of the Gospel? Now, an argument can be made that there is a correct answer here, and that's none of us. Nobody for 2,000 years has had this definitive proof. We have faith. And uh, faith is incredibly, incredibly important. Some can argue, actually, that the, the relationship that comes from faith is more powerful than the relationship that would come from definitive proof. You know, my students, when I was a youth pastor, would ask me all the time, why doesn't God just show himself? Why doesn't God just show up and show us all that he's here and that he's doing stuff? And, you know, I would, I would reiterate this idea of faith to that. That if God just showed up today, yes, everyone in the world would follow him. But they would follow him because they don't have a choice, really. I mean, he's there, of course. 
But when there's an element of faith, there's an element of trust. It's a strong bond there that requires us to take that leap, to take that step, to take that leap of faith. So we have faith, but faith isn't necessarily considered proof, especially as we're in this sort of modern day where, where people are always looking for that that proof, that, that something that tells them that something is true, that, that something they can see, they can touch, they can feel, that faith is difficult. And when, when talking with, with someone who isn't a Christian and when engaging with someone who isn't a Christian, talking to them about your faith is a great, it's incredibly important and powerful, but it's not always something that they're going to be looking for that proof. And it's sort of, it's the hard thing with evangelism nowadays is that so much is based on faith while people are looking for evidence. So we have faith, but not what would be considered proof. None of us walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus. None of us saw his miracles happen. We believe the stories that have been passed down, but we were not there to witness them ourselves. We have this incredibly powerful faith, but not something that I can just hand to someone and prove to them what happened. It's important to note, though, that while we have our, this grounding based on faith, there were some who had grounding based on proof. And in their lives, we find what can be argued the closest thing to proof. And it's what brings me to the main point of what I wanted to talk about today. And that is the commitment of the disciples and the truth of Christ. There's so much that can be found in what happened to the disciples after the resurrection that shows us the truth of Christ. So we look at the, the disciples. Peter was crucified upside down. He did not feel that he was worthy to die as Christ did. Paul was beheaded. Andrew was crucified. Thomas was speared to death. Philip led a ministry in Africa. He converted the wife of the proconsul, and as retaliation, the proconsul had him arrested and put to death. Matthew was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Bartholomew was martyred in India. James, Acts 12, 2 tells us, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. This likely means that he was beheaded. Simon was killed in Persia for refusing to sacrifice to the Son of God. Matthias was burned to death. John, the only one to die a natural death, did so in exile. Every single one of these men, including John by being exiled, lost everything because they refused to lie about the truth of Christ. Every single one of these men could have admitted that the resurrection was a lie. They could have admitted that they slipped in and took the body and buried it somewhere and made this whole thing up. But they didn't because it wasn't a lie. They had witnessed things that they could not explain. And why do, why do we look at this and say that you know they, they didn't? make all this up because it wasn't a lie because of exactly what we just went through, the way that they all died. Every single one of them gave up their lives 
to protect the resurrection of Christ. Because human nature would tell them to just admit the lie. Don't give up your life over something that isn't true. The problem for those who persecuted, though, though, is that it was. Anyone who was persecuting the disciples would have loved for one of them to crack. If even one of them cracks, the whole truth of the Gospels and the divinity, the resurrection, all falls apart. If one person who was there, who witnessed everything, comes forth and says, the body's buried over here. We made the whole thing up. He would have lived. They would not have beheaded James if he admitted to the whole thing. They would not have burned Matthias if he admitted to the whole thing. That's what they wanted when they persecuted them. They wanted to crack them. They had 11 men. I don't even have enough fingers for that. I was going to throw fingers up for it. I don't have 11 fingers. They had 11 men and they couldn't get one. And that is powerful, powerful, what I personally view as proof, evidence to the resurrection of Christ. And it's not like what we see later on with martyrs who died for their faith. Because of the fact that a martyr who admits that they were lying, they they weren't there. They didn't have the, the, the evidence that these people have. If, you know, if someone who dies in the 1500s who was burned at the stake says, you know, they can't say they made the whole thing up. They can say, I don't actually believe in this. But that's sort of the difference between proof and faith. Faith, you can say you either believe or you don't. Proof can be evidence. And that's what these people had. It was different than faith. It was evidence. So what do we make of all this? Well, I think that it's incredibly important that we as Christians recognize that our relationship with Christ is based on faith. That when someone asks us about the Gospels, that we can't just give them definitive proof as to what we believe in. And I think this is actually incredibly important in and of itself because it requires a more relational development. Just like our faith is so much more built on building a relationship with Christ, with God, you know, with, with this faith, we, proof, you just sort of have something handed to you and, and it's true or it's not. Faith is something that needs to be built. And so when we're, we're engaging with non-Christians, when we're evangelizing, it's not something that we can just give an answer. It's something that needs to be built on. But also it's important as Christians to recognize that when we're looking at things, we, we do at times have what could be argued as the, the simple proof, faith, evidence. And I really do feel a lot of that shows itself here in the disciples. That all of these men, when Jesus died, they fled. They all ran. They were all scared. I was actually reading a thing earlier this week, which it talks about how the men ran, the women stayed. And it's a really interesting way that we look at it with the resurrection, that the, the disciples fled. But it doesn't end there. And there are, there are mixed accounts of these disciples. The, the ones that I went through here today are sort of the most commonly accepted in Christian tradition. 
But even if you look at some language says that, you know, some of these might be a little different, it's pretty well accepted that they all died premature death. It's not that, you know, well, they might not have died and they actually lived old life. This is just first Christian tradition. Christian tradition has them. This is what we pass down. But we do know that they all died premature deaths, whether it was from beheading or burning or exile or ran out of town. We don't always know that, but we do know that they gave up everything, including their lives, to protect the divinity of Jesus. And if it was all fake, they wouldn't have done this. They wouldn't have given up everything for this because of the fact that why give up your life for something that you faked? Why are you going to fake the resurrection and then give up your, what's the point of living anymore? If the thing that, you know, I guess that was your big thing was to, why give up your life for something that isn't true? So while as Christians, we're so lucky that our relationship with Christ is a faith-based relationship, that we have faith in him, we have faith in what's been passed down. But it's also incredibly, incredibly beneficial and helpful to know that we know 11 disciples whose relationship wasn't, whose relationship wasn't based on faith, but who walked with Jesus, who talked with Jesus, who witnessed his death, who fled, who came back, who saw the resurrection, saw his return. And then gave up everything to make sure that those who persecuted Jesus, those who persecuted them at that time, would not be able to destroy the truth of Christ, the divinity of Christ, and the truth that we read in the Gospels. Lord, I'm just so grateful, humbled, honored to be able to sit here and talk about you, Lord, to talk about the faith that we have in you, to talk about the early days, Lord, to talk about the disciples, to talk about the resurrection. And Lord, I am just so incredibly blessed to be able to look at this, Lord. And I, I just, I pray that everyone listening that our faith can be enhanced and strengthened. Our faith in you can continue and continue to grow. That we can use this faith to engage in others. And that we can look at something like what we see here, the, the proof, the evidence, the life of these disciples. That it can further enhance and grow our faith as we engage with those around us. Lord, I know I'm so grateful for the relationship that I have with you. And I know that those listening also are grateful that we're able to engage with you in this manner. And Lord, I ask that you be with all of us as we go throughout our week and that we can remember the sacrifices that people have made in your name, Lord. That we can remember the sacrifice that you made, Lord. And that in all of that, our faith can be expanded upon and grown so that nothing can stand in the way of our relationship with you, Lord. Thank you so much for everything that you do. 
In your name, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much, everyone, for um, for this morning, and I hope you all have a wonderful week. Pastor Kenny, thank you so much. And uh, just, again, special thanks to Pastor Kenny and Kellen and Missy as they organized the egg hunt yesterday. I will say that uh, as you're able to be a part this evening at 4 o'clock, you can email, reserve your spot. There's still some space left, but we had several eggs left over. So if you have children or if you just uh, have a hankering for some candy, well, some have some eggs uh, that you cannot eat in the sanctuary, but you can certainly eat in your vehicle. And uh, we're going to have some eggs available uh, for you, for those that you'd like to bring. But four o'clock tonight at Hunger Mountain Christian Assembly this week, next week, and the following. And then we're going to look at May after that, but we just thank you so much for being a part of Living Hope Wesleyan Church. Once more, if you're new to uh, church, if you're new to this Jesus thing and you just want to believe, but you take things so literally or just still does not make sense, have that faith so you can experience the proof of who Jesus is. So thank you so much, Pastor Kenny. Thank you for being a part. Hopefully we'll see some of you at four o'clock this evening. But like Bethany said, it's either or. You don't have to watch every sermon and go to every live event. We just want to make sure that we are growing in our faith, knowing that Jesus loves us and we are making his love known to others. With that, we say amen. Enjoy your day. And if you're available, we'll see you on Zoom in a few short minutes. Thanks all.